With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. On this edition, we will be chatting with the great Larry Holmes, who, of course, is a legendary heavyweight champion who had a tremendous run, uh, a seven-year reign as heavyweight champion, and he was one of the fighters that helped make the 1980s one of the most special decades ever in the sport of boxing. Uh, We will also, of course, answer some questions from you that you send to me uh, on Twitter, at Al Bernstein. So we want you to continue to send them to me. And by the way, I urge you to uh, simply uh, interact with me on Twitter. I enjoy uh, interacting with boxing fans. And uh, so when you have any questions or any comments, uh, feel free to uh, look me up on Twitter and we can uh, have some convo, as they say. well, to help me do everything on this show, uh, I have a fine co-host. His name is Trip Mitchell, and we welcome him now. Hi, Trip. How are you? I am good, Al. And uh, just a really rough weekend for boxing fans, and with the passing of one of the truly greats, marvelous Marvin Hagler. And you heard about it prior to going on the air, and and I, as usual, Showtime did a great job remembering him. And and. Uh, but what a what a great champion and and a better person. Yeah, yeah, well put. That's exactly the way to put it. And yeah, we found out about it. Oh, I'm going to say for 30, 40 minutes before we were going to go on the air, and uh, or at least we confirmed it at that point. It had been rumbling around on the internet, but we wanted to make sure the story was true. And it was like a gut punch, you know, just before uh, having to do a show. And I have to be honest, I was devastated and crushed by it. Uh, because I've known Marvin for, you know, close to 40 years. And uh, we had to scramble also to put together some of the tribute uh, material that you're talking about. And um, it was hard, you know, just getting emotionally past it to talk about it. Uh, you know, I, I, I did many of Mar- Marvelous Marvin's fights uh, during the a portion of his career. Uh, first, when he fought uh, Roberto Duran in 1983. Uh, and then, of course, the amazing night uh, when he fought Tommy Hearns uh, in 1985. Uh, I was honored and privileged to be at the mic for that uh, amazing evening. Uh, and uh, that fight was interesting on many levels. Obviously, first, it was extraordinary to see what he and Tommy Hearns did. And the other thing is, I was the guy who could have killed the Tommy Hearns Marvelous Marvin Hagler fight, or at least it would have been blamed on me, and I will explain. (laughs) Uh, This was about four days before the fight, three days we were there, and uh, I was going to do the last interview with Marvin for the broadcast, and we were, they had to set up in the ring. We were going to sit in the ring to do it. 
And I started to go up the stairs to get into the ring. And for some reason, Marvin came right on my heels. And he was right behind me and he stepped on my heel, literally. <laughs> and we both started teetering. And we were this close to both of us going down in a heap. Uh, and we managed to somehow keep our our balance. We got in the ring and I was like, you know, thinking to myself, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to be the guy responsible for this fight not happening. <laughs> and Marvin <laughs> Marvin winked at me when we were in the ring and said, well, that was my fault. But guess what? They'd have blamed you. <laughs> and that is true. They would have. So um, so that was that was a, a crazy story before that fight. And of course, the uh, the fight itself and everything that happened that night was was legendary. You know, one of the things about Marvin was that nothing was ever handed to him. He had to fight adversity forever in his boxing career, even after becoming a, a superstar. Uh, you know, it took him six years to get a, a world title shot. Then when he did get a world title shot against Vito Anfermo, they stole the opportunity from him. When I say stole, I mean stole. Uh, <laughs> over 15 rounds, he won a minimum of 10 rounds, probably 11 in that fight. And for some inexplicable reason, he ended up with a draw against Fituana Fermo. Uh, Dwayne Ford had a four-point win for him, which was still close, in my opinion, closer than it needed to be. And two of the worst cards ever handed in by judges were given in by Adolby Shirley, who had Hagler losing by two points, um, and Hal Miller, who had the draw. Uh, again, the two worst cards that I've seen handed in in the last 40 years. Uh, it was you know, a travesty, needless to say. And Marvin Hagler then had to go on and win several more fights and finally won the championship in England against Alan Mintor. And even then, there was a riot at ringside after he won it, so he couldn't celebrate as much as he would like. Uh, the judges were always tough on Marvin Hagler against Duran, the fight I alluded to. It was a very close fight that, they, that he had to win the last round in order to win <clears throat> And those judges' scorecards, in my mind, were askew. He won. He was certainly farther ahead than that in that fight. Then when he fought John Mugabe later in his career, uh, second to last fight, <clears throat> they had the fight very, very close when he stopped John Mugabe. That was wrong. And finally, the final insult, <clears throat> Jojo Guerra's infamous scorecard in the Leonard uh, Hagler fight where he had uh, Ray Leonard winning 118 to 111. Uh, and uh, Marvin Hagler lost a split decision in that uh, fight. Uh, so for reasons known only to those involved uh, overall in boxing, for some reason, <clears throat> they, they, he didn't always get the benefit of the doubt. Now, outside the ring and in every other way, uh, Marvin Hagler was uh, a straight shooter. That term was invented for him. Uh, he was universally respected in the boxing community. And... Um, and he was, I think, had more integrity than almost anyone I've dealt with in the sport of boxing. Uh, and one of the stories that's being told, that has been told after his passing, uh, and, and it's a true story, 
is the one in which uh, the Petronellis, uh, Goody and Pat Petronelli, went to Marvin at a certain point and said, you know, uh, you know, this was after his figures, his paydays had gone up to the seven figures and he was making a lot of money. And the Petronellis came to him and said, you know, we think it would be fairer to you if if we had a set fee at this point instead of taking a percentage. And which A, shows what kind of guys they were. And then B, we found out what kind of guy Marvin was uh, again, because his response to them was, absolutely not. I would never allow that to happen. And if you ever bring it up to me, I'll fire you. (laughs) (laughs) So you won't have to worry about the percentages. Um, He, that was the kind of guy he was. He was just, did not want them to take less money. And, uh, As I said, uh, you know, uh, he was loyal to them. They were his trainer managers uh, for his entire career, fought in the same weight division his entire career, and he had the same dedication to the sport from the first moment he put on a pair of gloves to uh, when he left the sport. And uh, Tripp, you'll appreciate this. You know my sister, Aidy, who manages me, uh, and... uh, uh, she and I were at a Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame dinner uh, a couple years ago, and Marvin sat with us at our table, and he was sitting next to Eddie, and I was on the other end of Eddie, and and we're all just I was chatting with somebody else for a while, and for a good fifteen twenty minutes, uh, Marvin and my sister were were talking, and uh, at one point Marvin taps me on the shoulder, and he said, "Hey," he said, "You know." After talking to your sister, I realized she knows more about boxing than you do. <laughs> and then he winked at me, right? Uh, and so, of course, that's something my sister has never let me forget. Um, but uh, Marvin was, in my mind, uh, one of the most enjoyable people in the sport to deal with. And, uh, of course, he will be missed. And I think fans will miss him just they didn't have to know him. They're going to miss the great, uh, the great personality that he was in the sport of boxing. Well, and one of the things that you had told about in an earlier story is when you were getting inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame back in New York, your son Wes, who was 10 or 12 at the time, hang, hung out with three of the four kings yeah. of boxing, and they treated him so well. And what a memory that has to be. It was. You know, we were in that – there's a little motel there where they where – they, uh, uh, they, you know, put the 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 inductees and some of the major, uh, you know, uh, boxing celebrities that have come, and uh, Marvin Hagler and and uh, Tommy Hearns and Ray Leonard were also they were on the same floor as me, and uh, uh, and during the time there, they were my son was about twelve years old, and they were they couldn't have been more solicitous and nicer to him, and. They were. He was having fun with them, and and by the end, he was calling them Uncle Marvin, Uncle Ray, and Uncle Tommy, and <laughs> it was it was just charming, and uh, uh, and Marvin was a big part of that. And um, the last uh, when he was inducted into the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame, I uh, I was the MC of that event, and um, we shared some nice moments up on the stage, and uh, that's the last time I got a hug from Marvin Hagler and, um, you know, hugs are in short, uh, short supply these days for everyone. 
Uh, and so I remember that uh, very specifically. Well, from one legend, we will go to another uh, because our chat this week uh, on this show is with the great Larry Holmes, of course, a legendary heavyweight champion who uh, reigned supreme for seven years in the division, uh, made 20 title defenses, which is pretty extraordinary, and um, got a chance to visit with Larry and get his memories of his great career. Larry, you... Uh, had an interesting beginning to your pro career because you only had a short amateur career, like 22 fights. But then while you were fighting as a professional, you really learned uh, your craft by sparring with top heavyweights like Ali, Joe Frazier, Jimmy Young, Ernie Shavers. How beneficial was that to you? And what did it kind of show you about your potential? It showed me a lot showed me that I can hang in there with anybody. If I can get in the ring with Ali or get in the ring with Joe Frazier or Ernie Shavers and those guys, I can get in the ring with anybody. And that's what I concentrated on. Yeah, and, and, and I would think the beauty of all those guys is you saw all kinds of different styles uh, that you would then, the kind of styles you'd face later as a, you know, in your career. Yeah, you know, I, Ali had a different style, which is boxing, sticking the jab and moving and circling around the ring. Joe Frazier had a style that he's gonna come and knock you out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he don't back up for nobody. And same thing with Ernest Shavers and all that. So you know, I was learning. You know, they think, you know, they uh, the way they box, so I can get my stuff going, so I can. I know how to back up because Ernie Shavers kept me backing up. I know, yeah. I know how to go forward because Ali will make you go forward. And yeah, great, great learning school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, you didn't, the interesting thing that people kind of forget, uh, and I was, you know, uh, right around, it was the beginning of when I was announcing boxing. So I remember it and I was covering boxing. Uh, for Boxing Illustrated and other publications when you won the heavyweight title uh, before I got with ESPN. But I, I re do, doing stories about you, uh, I remember this. You did not get your shot at a world title until uh, your 28th fight, and you were 29 years of age. Um, so you got it a little bit uh, later. Um, how did it impact you that you, even though you were certainly still a young enough guy and had a brilliant reign that lasted a long time, do you think that the fact that you had to wait and earn this opportunity made it even sweeter for you? Yeah, you know what? I was kind of glad that I did wait because I got a chance to learn how to, how to fight and learn how to fight mm -hmm. different style. And uh, that was good. You know, even look out. <laughs> Back there in those days, man, you know, you was out there, man, you seen you, you covered these guys and everything else, you know, and you never wrote a bad article about me. So <laughs> I, I liked you from the beginning <laughs> and I learned from that, man, you know, I learned from that. Uh, yeah. Stay cool. Yeah. And, oh, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no problem. Go ahead. No. And you, um, you created, when you won the world championship, you and Kenny Norton, and I remember being there at that, at that, uh, in, C in the pavilion in Caesar's Palace, 
to to write about that fight. And um, you and he created what I think is absolutely one of the best heavyweight championship fights of all time. Uh, did you have a sense? Uh, of course, you, it was a dogfight, you know, but did you kind of know that you guys were creating a classic moment? No, you know, that wasn't a part of my thoughts. You know, my, my thoughts would go out and win if I can. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, and Kenny Norton pushed me to that limit because uh, he was on top of me every second, you know, and I, he hit me a little below the belt and I never forget it. And I said, you hit me below, keep it up, keep, keep the punches up. And he told me, he said a whole lot of bad words to me <laughs> that I shouldn't say on, on, on the network. <laughs> okay. I didn't I was, know that. I did. Well, of course, you guys had a little history. Before that, there was an altercation at his training camp and there was some, some other stuff. So I know it wasn't all fun and games before the fight. No, he didn't love me and I didn't love him either. You know, but I respected him. I respected him because he was, you know, he was the champ and he was the man that beat the champ. So, you know, I I paid it no mind and tried to keep on doing what I was doing. But Kenny Norton would never, never be out of my mind. Everybody said, who you for? For the championship? Kenny Norton. Yeah. Tough fight. It was amazing. And it came down to the 15th round. And you guys produced one of the great rounds in heavyweight history. And, uh, uh, and you had a great second part of that round, which is what sealed the fight for you. In fact, that is probably what won the fight it, because it was to be decided. And, you know, th th those were 15 round fights. Um, hard to conceive of that, I think, for a lot of fans now. But for you, the two of you, the pace you fought at to get into that 15th round uh, and produce that round was amazing. You had to, finding that extra gear had to be difficult. Well, I tell you what, your heartbeat was beating and never, and listen, you guys made the fight too, because you, you covered it and you said some things, maybe true and some of them weren't true. And Kenny Norton, you know, he 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 was great. He didn't like me anyway, you know. He was going to try to, he was going to, try to kill me, you know. Even after the fight, it was just the same way, you know. He still didn't want to say nothing to me. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and and of course that fight was that fight. I mentioned it was at Caesar's Palace, and that was in the Pavilion. But then many of your fights, you fought ten times at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, and. Many of those fights, some of them were in the outdoor arena. The two, two of the biggest, of course, were against Muhammad Ali and Jerry Cooney, in which it was you literally made Las Vegas stand still, um, which those great fights did in the 80s. Sometimes people now that have, you know, maybe weren't around during that era, they can't get the flavor of what it was like in Las Vegas in the 1980s for a big fight at Caesars Palace. Can you describe a little bit about, as a participant, the way that moment felt to you? Well, I still feel, I still feel it, you know? I mean, all these years later, I feel, oh man, you know, what a fight I had, you know? Yeah. Kenny Norton put on a great show, he tried to kill me and knocking me out <laughs> and all that stuff. And I was trying to, I was just trying to win the fight, you know? And, yeah. And the city, the city was alive during your big fights uh, in in uh, uh, in 
in Las Vegas. The 80s were, was an amazing decade, and a lot of that was you were responsible for a big part of that. The whole vibe of that, those events that you had were amazing. Yeah, you know, Kenny was good. He, he was good, but, you know, he wanted to win. He wanted to be the champion. You know, he, he beat Ali, which, you know, no matter what people say, he's in his mind, he yeah. beat Ali and didn't get it. Now he's going to fight me and and uh, he's going to knock me out. That's the only way he's going to get to be the title, get, get that be the title. And he could not, he couldn't knock me out because I, I study him. I study Kenny Norton. I watch him fight. I watch him, you know, and uh, I was not going to go that way. I was going to win the title because, you know, a lot of people in Easton said, Larry Holmes, oh, hey, he's all right. But he, he can't be Ken Norton, hmm. you know? So I had to go through that here in my hometown. No, they was wow, really? some, some you know? doubters even there? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, you had two amazing fights with Ernie Shavers. The first one, you completely controlled and dominated the fight uh, before you were champion. And the second one, uh, you won and you ended up TKOing him. Of course, he knocked you down in that fight. And, uh, you know, he's a tremendously powerful puncher. Was he the most, I know Cooney also landed some good punches and you've said he's a hard puncher. Was Ernie Shavers the hardest puncher that you faced? That I fought. Yeah, that yeah. I thought uh, Jerry Cooney was next to that, but yeah, but uh, uh, Ernie Shaver, you know, with his style and with his ducking and whatever, and he, hitting him on his head, he had a hard head, you know. He, <laughs> yes, yeah. He was, he was not not a cakewalk for Larry Holmes. No. And I, I I stood in there with him, and he hit me, and I hit him, and I came out victoriously at the end. And then and then they had him there to throw Jerry Cooney on me. And the boy, I don't have to fight this guy. He's bigger than me, six foot five, six foot yeah. six. And he punches hard as heck, you know, and you go get him half of the money. Don't get, don't get no, no such thing as the parody with Jerry Cooney. Jerry Cooney wanted the lion's share, but yeah. we settled at the end of it for half of the money. And uh, we had, we put on a good fight. I think it's a great fight. You know, you brought, you brought that up. And I, of course, I was going to, ask about that um that was uh, an extraordinary promotion on many levels some not so wonderful because there were there were people involved in the promotion though i don't think that you or jerry were among them and you guys have become good friends since then which is great to see and i i love both of you guys so i'm i'm, I'm thrilled that you that you guys are good friends but there was so much deliberately done to try and make that fight seem like uh, a fight between the great white hope and larry holmes and that had to be difficult to go through you had you had jim jacobs and bill Caton or whatever in the corner throwing that garbage around in the air you know so he had to hit rap rapaport and jones right right Rappaport yeah. and, jones. and they had to hit jerry because he hit me you know yeah and you know that's why i said when the bell rang, when I when I fought Jerry, when the bell rang, I said to Jerry, I looked at him and I shook his hand. I said, let's have a good fight. Great. And that's what we did. We had a good fight. Yeah. You know, Jerry never forget that part there. And even when I was beating him up and start beating him up, you know, taking advantage of it, um, he, he stood, he stood, 
he stood there like a man and he took whatever I had to give him. Yeah. Gary, yeah, you know, and, and it, it is interesting. And you, you know, what some people forget is, and you made a point of it, that while Jerry Cooney didn't have quite the right, they didn't really create the right buildup for him to fighting you uh, because they didn't put him in against the toughest competition prior to it. He stepped up enough in that fight to do some very good things, and he's a powerful puncher. So your victory over him should never be discounted because, you're, as you point out, you're facing this, this big, tall, power-punching heavyweight who, if they had handled him better, would have had a better career. You know, one of the things I did is got in a lot of arguments uh, over that fight because when people say, oh, he, Jerry wasn't that, Jerry wasn't this, he wasn't that. I said, I tell you what, it's beautiful for me to knock you out in two seconds. Jerry <laughs> was a punching, puncher man, and yeah. uh, he, he, he can hit you. And I wanted to win the fight. I wanted to box him to win the fight because I knew he was a puncher. Right. And I had seen what he did to the guys before me. And um, no, I was not going to stay there and take punches and trade with Jerry and get beat up. I was going to box Jerry, use my knowledge. And what I learned from him in boxing, from Ali and Frazier and those guys, and uh, go to get away with it, go out clean. Yeah, you fought a, a great fight against him and uh, and got the win, and it was you know one of the more important ones in your career. You, um, of course, fought Muhammad Ali when he came back in the ring at I think age thirty eight, and I, I've always wanted to ask you this, and I don't never really had an opportunity. During the lead up to that fight, in your mind, did you ever believe that Ali was going to bring the fight like some people started to believe he would, that he somehow had recaptured the magic at that age? Uh, did you ever think he was a serious threat to you? You know, to tell you the truth, anybody who stepped in the ring with me, I thought they were serious because okay. they, they was hitting me and they were throwing punches. Right stuff like that. And Muhammad Ali was one of the guys that did that. He talked to you crazy. You hit him and that didn't hurt. That didn't hurt. Give me your best shot, you know. And it went on and went on and went on until, you know, the referee stopped it. But no, Ali was my friend. He was a guy that could fight and knew a lot of tricks. And I couldn't get myself to fall in and in, in, in all that mess that he was throwing out there because he was throwing them out there and he could punch. You know, he he got to be in that position by beating the number one contender. So the guy could fight and he was a champion of the world, you know, and, and the guys that he, he fought like Sonny Liston and all them guys, uh, he, he had to be, he had to know what he was doing. So even at that age, you felt there was danger there, uh, uh, from him. And of course, you dominated uh, most of that, virtually all of that fight. And, you know, so many people talk about uh, the ending of that fight and how at a certain point you wanted the referee to step in, didn't you, to stop the fight? Yeah, I told the referee, I said, listen, what, what I got to do? I got to kill him. I mean, I'm beating him up. I mean, you know, because after, after the fifth round, you know, he started going down, you know, and I was taking the Shot though, taking the shots, you know, and he would take those punches, man. And yeah. 
He said, come on, come on, you ain't got nothing. Come on, my spine partner, boy, you my spine partner. Like, you know, of course, I worked with Ali for five years. Right. But uh, Ali still had a lot of tricks up his sleeve. And I didn't want to take no chances. No chances. Yeah. Well, you you fought a, a you know brilliant fight. Did When you look back on it uh, during the time, it, did you – is it hard to see what – I mean, obviously, it was – you made a lot of money for that fight and you exercised demons of this man that, you know, had preceded you and has a big shadow. But do you think you gained from beating Ali or was it kind of a mixed bag? Well, with the, with, I, I think I gained, you know, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of respect I got in the ring and out of the ring. Mm-hmm. People respected me. Yeah, because, because of the way you handled it, right? Yeah. And beat him up, and I, you know, and they knew a lot of people knew that what I was doing, and I didn't have to beat him up. But a lot of people didn't like me because I was, because I could beat them up. I was beating them up, and they, I they said, "I hate you. I hate you." Yeah. What What I do? You beat up Ali. Ali the man. You ain't the yeah. man. You never be the champ. And I had to go through that. I said, "But you know what? It was him on me." That's what I had to go through. You know, there's probably been very few fighters in the history of the sport who found themselves in a no-win situation as many times as you did, whether it was Ali, whether it was the Cooney fight in which, you know, there was these overtones, whether it was, going, you know, the, the going after Marciano's record or whether it's going after it, just it being there and uh, all, the, all the, the, the terrible insults you took and all the rest. So... You were like in so many situations where you were damned if you did and damned if you didn't. And that had to be hard mentally to go through. It was really hard. You know, it was in no win situation. I win and I lose. You know, I, what I want to do, go out and get knocked out. Because yeah. You don't want me to <clears throat> break a record. I can't do yeah. that. I'm going to go out there and fight. You know, when God give me talent to fight. I'm going to go out there and do what I got to do. And uh, <clears throat> it was hard, you know, to the, to the Marciano family and stuff like that. But it was never um, said that uh, I was uh, racist or whatever. Yeah. I, you know, I fought him because I, he, he was a pony. What color was he? I, I don't know what color he was. I think he was white, but it could have been black, you know, as far as I'm concerned, because we were fighting, <laughs> you know what I mean? My my thing was not to look and judge him by the color, but judge him by the way he throws his punches. And, uh, you know, it worked for me. And uh, so those that seen the fight know what I did, know that I let it go. And I didn't try to kill nobody. And all I wanted to do was win a fight. Yeah. Yeah, you were you were great about uh, work, being workmanlike and going about your business and 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 tuning out the noise that that oftentimes came and and as i say some of it for you was was difficult the uh, you had uh, through almost all of your career most of your career don king was your promoter and your relationship with him was a tricky one um when you when you t- like look at it in total and assess it what's your overall assessment of of your relationship with him and and the whole uh business mode of operation with him? I tell you one of the things I, I I don't have I don't have hate for nobody. I don't 
you know, inspire nobody, you know. We went out there, we did what we had to do. Either Jerry went or Ali went or whatever, but I, I was doing what I had to do. And um, a lot of people were out there hating me because of that. But I didn't care. I wanted to win the fight, go home with my trophy, my wife and my kids. I said, I won the fight. And we had dinner and, and kept it quiet. We, we didn't, we didn't want to, we didn't want to be, ah, I'll be back at home, I'll be, you know, I didn't want that. I just wanted to be, be me. And was King, uh, when you look at your overall time with him, uh, was he more beneficial than detrimental in the long run? It's like Dave. 50-50? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what he was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I I get it. Yeah, I get it. You had you had twenty uh, title defenses, which is extraordinary, and uh, and that of course is something that will forever put you in uh, the boxing history books. But it is interesting. I think one of your greatest moments, and this may seem odd, came in a defeat when you were forty-two years old and you fought Evander Holyfield and made him go twelve tough rounds uh i remember being at that fight and i was covering it for espn and uh and and i got on sports center and i said this might be one of larry holmes finest moments even in losing uh because you were an old you were older at that point and uh you were 42 and you've managed to do that with holyfield uh did you i know of course the object is to win but you must have felt uh, that you acquitted yourself extremely well. Yeah, I, I thought I did. I think I did good. But I, I, I didn't go into the fight to lose. I went in there to win, and I didn't care who I was fighting. Yeah. Randall Holyfield just got me one of those days that I wasn't really quite 100%. But uh, we fought a good fight. He fought a good fight. He said some things that would try to upset me, talk about, you know, when, if it wasn't Marciano, it was. Muhammad Ali, it was Ernie Shavers, it was Jerry, it was somebody that somebody always was doing up to me. And why can't I just be me? That's all I want. I don't want to be nobody else. I don't want to, you know, say that I'm better than anybody was, was better than anybody else. I just wanted to go out there and put on a good fight and hope that nobody got hurt in the fight. That's all I want. Well, you, you did that against him, that's for sure. So, you ended up fighting Mike Tyson uh, right toward the end of your career, or at least. Yeah, we could arrange that maybe. Let's think about that. They're doing a lot. <laughs> they're doing a lot of those fights now, so <laughs> maybe not. Oh, you might. Were you? Well, I, I saw a comment. You had a funny comment when uh, they asked you how you would do against today's heavyweights, and you said, "Well, I'm 70 years old. You know, you can't." <laughs> I, 71. All right. There you go. Uh, so uh, but w if you had fought Mike Tyson during your prime, how do you think that fight would have gone? I don't want to take nothing away from Mike Tyson, but you wouldn't have heard of him. Hmm. You might have heard of Mike Tyson. Listen, if he would came up in this, the crowd of people that I came up with, he had, he had to fight those guys. He had to fight them on his ship. He had to fight them kidding. No, he had to fight them Mali. You know, he had to fight those guys that was going to hit him and hit him and try to hurt him. And, and then they're going to talk about it. Like, 
you know, that's what them guys want. They want bragging rights. And, and Mike Tyson would have gave them bragging rights. He, he, he won over me, so let him go out and defend it. Yeah. Uh, well, certainly you had the, uh, the boxing skills that would have made it, uh, you know, he and you and he at the, um, in your prime would have been, uh, a, you know, extraordinary fight and your boxing skills. Does anybody in the sport of boxing that you see that you have seen, who are some of the people, if there are anybody that you would say have a jab that is somewhat comparable? You're, you have perhaps one of the best jab. Well, for sure. One of the best jabs in the history of boxing. What is, and, and I'm sure you admire people that can jab really well. Is there anybody that, or people that come to mind that you look at and say, wow, their, their jab's pretty impressive? Yeah, I, I ran across a couple guys like that and uh, had a good jab. And I tried to teach them how to double it up and how to triple it up and how to counter off of it. And, uh, and, and that's it. But, but they, don't, they didn't really, they don't want to use the jab. They want to go out and slug. Mm. You know, you got to use the jab, man. Get them. My thing I always say, you got to make them drunk before mm -hmm. you mug. And then you mug, you know? Yeah. So take your time, go out there and do what you got to do. Box, use your jab, use the jab. The jab will keep everybody right hand off your face if you throw it right. And you just talked about, which I think is really interesting, with some people, they don't see that nuance. There are different ways to use the jab, and it use it for different purposes at different times in the fight, don't you? Yeah, you listen, I use it up and down and around. That's the way to go, up and down and around, because you got you to use a jab. If you don't have a jab, you ain't got a fighter. Yeah. If you don't jab, you can't just walk in on somebody and knock them out. You got to set them up with that jab. Wop, jab, wop, pop, jab, pop. We used to say, cut the tree. We call him, cut the tree, Big Jack. That's what my brother called me. Big Jack, Big Jack, cut the tree. Cause Jack Johnson <laughs> threw them jabs. And I was doing the same thing that Jack Johnson did. And, and I got away with it. I got away with it. Yeah. But I, I learned as I went on, the jab was the most important thing to, to use in the fight. Yeah. Well, you had a great one. What, if you had to say the most satisfying moment of your career or a couple of them, what would be the most satisfying for you? Well, one of the things I wanted to do, and I did it, but I didn't want to do it that way, is Muhammad Ali get him off my back. Because it was always, you ain't no Muhammad, you ain't no Muhammad. Muhammad would do this, Muhammad would do that. Right. And, you know, and then we had to get him off the back, my back. You know, and uh, same thing with Ernie Shavers, you know, Kenny Norton. I had to get them off my back because people would have faith in these guys because they don't fuck the Muhammad Ali's and everybody else in the world. And uh, you want to see how I did do with them. Well, I've done it. Now you can judge me. Yeah, you did. That's for sure. And those were all great moments. So the uh, one of the big successes you've had in life outside of the ring is that you and Diane have been married since 1979, and she is a wonderful woman, and you two have a wonderful partnership and have always had. So 
what's your what's the secret that you want to tell the world about how to have such a long lasting and happy marriage? Never say no. <laughs> <laughs> the husband just don't ever say no to your wife, right? Don't say no. You want to go get it. She want a new car. Go get it. You know what I mean. But my money, my, my money is running kind of low now, so you can't just go do that no more. But, <laughs> you may, you may at some point have to actually say no. Is that it? Yeah, you have to say no. She understands it. She understands. Hey, thirty or thirty years I've been married. Thirty years I've been married to her. So I don't, I don't even know how many years I've been married. Yeah, well, since '79, however many, it's a long time. Uh, yeah, you two have had a a wonderful relationship, and you know. Um, a partnership, it seems like, and uh, and 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 she's been, uh, you know, how would you describe her as a force in your life? She, she's always praying and always saying one for me. And I said, "Did you say one for me?" <laughs> she said, I always say one for you. Don't even worry about it. And she's she's been a great girl. I got two kids. One of, one of them is uh, 40, I think, I don't know. And, and my son, he's 38 or 39, whatever. I got a, I got a great family and they, they, they know and they do right. They all educated, something that I'm not, I'm not educated, they educated, they went to school, they graduated, they went to college. <laughs> I'm a dropout, man. That's how. Well, I had... well you, you, uh, yeah, but let's 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 also clarify that you had to quit school in the seventh grade because you were in a family of you have eleven brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. and you had to help your mom, who was a single mom at that point. You uh, you had to go to work, and so uh, you took the hard route to help your family. Correct. Yeah, you know, I don't want to take all the credit for that, but everybody did. Everybody yeah. in the house had to help out, you know. You know, yeah. you, you had to go out there and pick cotton. You go pick cotton. You go out there, pick apples. You pick apples. You do whatever you got to do to bring food into the house so that yeah. guys can sit on that table and eat. And that's well, what we did. Your character uh, was forged from that, I'm sure. So you you've done something that's kind of interesting, and you you alluded to Easton before. Not too many people have put a town on the map, uh, which you've done. You know, if anybody says Easton, Pennsylvania, there's only one thing that they're going to think about. Um, while the town may has other attributes and there are other charms, at the end of the day, they're going to think about Larry Holmes. You put that town on the map. Uh, they erected a beautiful statue of you, which is wonderful. You got a street named after you, and I, I think people will appreciate it. But it must make you feel kind of proud that you are responsible for making a city known to the world. Yeah, I am really. I'm proud. But you know what? You, but you, you know, people crazy. They don't care. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they don't care what you did or who you are. Or who what have you done for me lately, huh? Yeah, you know what I mean. So you know, you just keep on doing what you're doing, yeah. and uh, the good will come back out of it. And, and just be. I, I love East tonight because I, I love East because I can go. I can ride down the street. To those stories and stuff like that, you know, it takes ten minutes <laughs> to do that. 
And I ain't got to fight nobody, ain't got to argue with nobody. But sometimes <laughs> you get a wise guy. Oh, Larry Homer, and give me the finger and stuff like that. You know, but I don't care, you know. Uh, I, I got to, now I am too old for that. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, I'm sure that 99.9% of everybody in Eastern Pennsylvania uh, is grateful that Larry Holmes uh, was born and grateful that Larry Holmes did so many wonderful things uh, to give that city um, its recognition. And I'm sure they're proud of your efforts, uh, as they should be. Um, and Larry, I, I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this with me. I, I you know, I remember uh, those those times in the 80s when uh, I would cover your fights for Sports Center. Ironically, I, I hardly ever got to announce your fights because they were on uh, different networks than I was on. Uh, the, I finally got to announce a fight of yours a million years into your career against Butterbean, of all people. That was, but that was you know way after after your championship run. But uh, I was privileged to to cover many of those. And you know the one thing I regret. You and I were both doing a lot of music in Las Vegas. You had your music group, and I was performing. We never did a duet. Now that's a shame, right? We, we get it together. Why would get the? <laughs> we got to do that. If you come out to Vegas, I'm still performing out here. You got to come out, and we're gonna we're gonna get together and do a duet. What hotel do you are? I usually perform at the Tuscany, so hotel. So we're gonna get you out there, and we're gonna we're gonna see if we once the the COVID thing is well in hand, we'll. We'll have we'll we'll all four go out to dinner and uh, and you can come over and we'll do some songs. Yeah, we'll have a good time. All right, Larry, thank you so much, and uh, I appreciate you sharing uh, your memories with us. Hey, man, thank you for having me. My wife thanks you. My kids don't even know who I'm talking to, but <laughs> I thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Larry. Take take care. All right. So there was my chat with Larry Holmes. Um, loved hearing him relive those memories and talk about uh, all the big fights he was in. And uh, I love his advice on, uh, you know, he's been married since 1979 to his wife, Diane. And I love the advice he gave on a, uh, how to have a good marriage. Just say yes to your wife all the time. Now, does that, <laughs> does that work for you, Trip, or no? Well, I'm uh, let's see, 15 months into yeah. it, so I can agree. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're you 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 are uh, still a newlywed virtually, so I yeah, yes, so indeed. You, it, but saying yes is a good thing. Yeah, you've already had enough practice saying yes. Yeah, yeah I've been married for uh, over 25 years, and uh, and I am uh, I'm a yes man. <laughs> <laughs> so Larry's advice was not lost on either of us. That's for sure, uh, and. and you know, real quick before we uh, get to the question, uh, I remember interviewing Larry, and he said a word that you cannot say on national radio twice. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you admonish the baddest no. guy on the planet? There's nothing you can say. No, you can't. You can't say that. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, you can't do that. But uh, he's, he's he he is a um, a guy that speaks his mind, and uh, and that is evidence of it. Um, what do you say we uh, dig into a question that we've got from uh, one of the uh, of our viewers and listeners? Okay, Green Key Mort asks, how do you feel about SOG, or who would be Son of God or Andre Ward? How would Andre fare against Canelo Alvarez if he came out of retirement? Great question. It is a good question, and I think I'm going to deal with it two different ways, uh, even though part of it wasn't asked. Uh, I'm going to first talk about how I think 
uh, a fight between Andre Ward and Canelo Alvarez would have gone if they could somehow magically fight during Andre Ward's prime when he was 168 pound champion and we had him in our super six uh, tournament. And of course he, beyond that as well, he fought as a 168 pounder. And I, I think it would be a fascinating match because Canelo is a counterpuncher who likes to control the pace of fights, uh, has a granite chin and has power. Uh, Andre Ward was a chameleon. He knew how to win. Winning was everything to him. And so to do that, he was not afraid or, uh, or, 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 or resistant to the idea of changing what he did fight to fight, sometimes round to round. And I remember them fighting Alan Green on the, in the Super 6 tournament and they had he and Virgil Hunter had deduced that the best way to beat Alan Green, who was a big puncher, was to not give him room to throw his punches. And Andre Ward did something I hadn't really seen him do before. He literally turned himself into the quintessential inside fighter. Uh, he made it rough and tumble in any inside. He threw short punches, uppercuts, little chopping right hands, uh, muscle Green. And, and won the fight that way. And, and you know, uh, Andre's a great guy. But in the ring, he was, well, I wouldn't say he broke the rules. He wasn't afraid to bend them occasionally. <laughs> and uh, so he can make fights rough and tumble. I think that is the strategy that he would employ if he were to fight Canelo Alvarez. Um, and... And I think it would be an interesting one to use because you want to get in the, he would want to get in the inside, uh, disrupt Alvarez, uh, try to push him, uh, try to not give him room to land the counter punches that he wants to land. And I think, while I have tremendous respect for Canelo Alvarez, and I think he's a terrific fighter, at the end of the day, I believe Andre Ward would have prevailed. Now, Right now, if he came out of retirement uh, after a long, long layoff and right off the bat fought Canelo, I think it would be a, a much heavier lift for him. I think he would still try and employ those tactics that I talked about. Uh, and I think it would be a tough one for him. And I, I think he would make the fight competitive and it would be really interesting. But I think it would be difficult for him to win now coming out of retirement uh, at this juncture. Although you never want to count Andre Ward out. Uh, you learned that. And, of course, he barely knew, uh, knew what defeat felt like. He was undefeated as a pro, although he did have the one controversial loss to Sergei Kovalev. And, uh, and as an amateur, uh, I, you know, he didn't, he didn't lose for, I think, five years of his amateur career going into the pros. So I used to joke that he was undefeated for about four presidential administrations, but <laughs> he didn't know how to lose. Um, another guy who's a winner is Tommy Ankello, who is, uh, has a wonderful uh, YouTube uh, channel called World Class Boxing, where he uh, gives you... Uh, a lot of videos that explain the sport of boxing. They're semi-instructional. He's a trainer, of course, uh, and and many young amateur boxers look at it. And if you and I are an amateur boxer and you want to look at, or an aspiring boxer, and you want to look at how the technique of boxing can be explained and taught, it's a great uh, site to go to, a great channel. 
And uh, even if you're just a boxing fan that wants to understand the sport better, going to that channel uh, would be a good one. Uh, next week, Trip, we are going to have uh, an interesting uh, show because we're going to have two two people on. Uh, we're going to have Raiz Alim, who's one of the best 122-pound fighters in the world today, and his uh, promoter, Marshall Kaufman. And part of the reason I, we wanted to have Marshall on is because I think it'll be interesting to see the dynamics of a promoter. And Marshall is a, has been a, a promoter for a long time, promoting at, you know, he's not the golden boy. He's not uh, matchroom boxing, top-ranked boxing, or PBC. He's one of those promoters in boxing who are the, the lifeblood of the sport. He does regional shows, mostly on the East Coast, and develops young fighters like Raiz Salim. And, uh, uh, and and I think it'll be interesting to talk to him about how that process works. While we have Raiz there, who, by the way, is a really interesting and uh, thoughtful guy, uh, and and kind of find out about that dynamic. That's the part of the sport that maybe people don't always get to see. Well, it sounds like it's going to be fun, and we'll, as usual, we'll learn something. Yeah, hopefully we will. Uh, <laughs> and uh, just... It'll be, a, I think it'll be an interesting show, uh, to be sure. Um, now, uh, we want to uh, urge everybody if you want to, if you uh, have not seen former past episodes of the show, uh, you can go on our YouTube uh, channel uh, to see it. You can go to, go to bingenetworks.tv to see it. Fight TV, uh, you can go back and look at. Uh, you know, episodes we have from the past. And one of our, our last episode was one that I think you'd get a kick out of if you missed it. And that is uh, the show we had in which Snoop Dogg came on and talked about his upcoming venture of April 17th uh, in boxing, the Fight Club, and also talked about a lot of other fun things. Uh, Trip, always uh, good to see you. And uh, thanks for, uh, for sharing the mic with me. I've enjoyed it, and your remembrances of Marvelous Marvin Hagler were uh, very profound. And, again, nice job with the whole Showtime crew doing something that's uh, doing a professional fight after you hear something that really affects you. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting night because of that, you know, because the motions were on our, we're wearing them on our sleeve when we started the show. So thanks for those comments. Uh, well, we thank you for uh, watching and listening. Uh, thanks also to uh, Larry Holmes, of course, for joining us. Thanks to the folks at Let's Do Something Productions, especially our man Chris. Uh, and um, we will see you next time.